Welcome to the Two Journeys Bible Study Podcast. This podcast is just one of the many resources available to you for free from Two Journeys Ministry. If you're interested in learning more, just head over to twojourneys.org. Now on to today's episode. This is episode 45 in our Acts Bible Study Podcast. This episode is entitled, Paul's Trial Before Felix, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses that we're looking at today? Well, one of the things that Jesus predicted uh, concerning the spread of the gospel is that his uh, his people, his messengers, would again and again be arraigned before governmental authorities as witnesses to give a testimony about the truth of the gospel. He also said there in Matthew 10, Don't, do not worry ahead of time what to say, but at that time it will be given you what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So expect to be arraigned, expect to be uh, to have to give a defense. And I think this is orchestrated. And this is a big uh, pattern that we see again and again in church history, whether it's Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms or, or others, uh, other examples of people brought before government authorities to give a testimony about Christ. And this mm. is an example. So this is Paul's trial before Felix. We're all, also going to see Paul's zeal um, at a personal level to win Felix individually to faith in Christ and how Felix reacts to that um, and is filled with fear but isn't converted. And so we'll talk about all of that. Let me go ahead and read Acts chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. They laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world, and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. You can verify that it is not more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust." So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation, should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, 
When Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Where does the trial of Paul before Felix take place? And what's the significance of the fact that the high priest himself was there? Yeah, the trial is down uh, at Caesarea, uh, down on the coast, uh, far from Jerusalem. And he was down there, as we learned in the podcast last time, because there had been a plot uh, made against Paul by 40 Jews who took a vow not to eat or drink anything until they had assassinated Paul. And as you remember from last time, God raised up a, a nephew that overheard and brought the information uh, to the tribune who then uh, sent almost 500 Roman soldiers to escort Paul secretly out of Jerusalem and bring him down to Caesarea. So the trial before the governor of the province, Felix, happens down at Caesarea, where there are far more Roman soldiers, I'm sure, to protect the governor. And so that's uh, where they are. And the um, the priests came down from Jerusalem. The high priest, Ananias, went down to, uh, to Caesarea to meet with him there. So that's the, the dedication, the commitment that the Jewish uh, authorities had to get rid of Paul. Who was Tertullus? And what do we learn from his opening statements in verses 2 through 4? Well, Wes, what does your translation call him? Well, in my translation, it says that uh, the elders and a spokesman won Tertullus. <laughs> well, my, my translation says lawyer. So I don't know if this is a lawyer passage here. <laughs> We've got friends that are lawyers and all that. So this guy's a hired gun. He's a, he's a rhetorician. He's, he's like a lawyer. He's a hired, hired advocate. And he's there on behalf of the Sanhedrin to uh, make the case. What charges are the Jews, by way of Tertullus, bringing against Paul? And what does this teach us about the nature of the persecution that the devil stirs up against the servants of God? Well, first of all, I do want to note the difference in the in the preamble or the beginning of Tertullus's uh, uh attack, his prosecution, and Paul's defense. Uh, and the difference is flattery. Um, so Tertullus goes in, in this flowery thing, praising the wisdom of Felix and and uh, you know how we have prospered under your enlightened rule, which is the whole thing. It's like the Jewish nation doesn't want any Roman rule, not enlightened or otherwise, but he's doing all this to suck up to Felix. Paul just says, I know you've been a judge for a long time, so off we go. Um, and so he, he says that in Thessalonians, we never use flattery. We're not trying to, uh, to tickle people's ears. We speak as messengers of Almighty God on behalf of uh, the, uh, a judgment that is to come. We'll get to that later in Acts 24. So the charge that, that uh, Tertullus brings on behalf of the Jewish uh, authorities is, effectively that he is a troublemaker, a plague, your translation called him, and that he starts riots everywhere that he goes. Now, this would have been of interest to the Romans. It's very clever because it's one of the few things they wanted out of the local population. They wanted taxes. They wanted a general submission to Roman rule, and they sure didn't want riots hmm. because there's nothing more more dangerous than a than mob rule, a bunch of crazed locals 
that are running amok in the streets, uh, usually uh, they are wild with rage and not afraid to die, and some Romans are going to go down with them. And so in order to put all that down, they need to, to scrape together some additional troops from their already thinly stretched uh, outskirts of the Roman Empire. They don't want to do that. So uh, any unlawful assembly, especially passionate assemblies, riots, are strictly forbidden, as we saw in Acts 19, great as Artemis of the Ephesians, as they're chanting and they're saying, look, we're in danger of being charged with rioting here. So they're basically charging Paul with stirring up riots. The amazing thing is, Paul Paul never stirred up a riot, but he had riots stirred up around him because they hated him. And so three times in the book of Acts, there is a riot, but it was never Paul's fault. It was always because of the Jewish enemies. Mm-hmm. And Paul says that in his defense. He's like, you want to talk to the Jews that hunt me down from place to place. Those are the ones that are starting up riots. Now, why would the appeal by the Jewish leaders have been difficult for Felix to resist? Well, he, he, uh, th- there's a lot of people against just one person. And it's just like, like – uh, Caiaphas said in John's gospel, it would be better for one man to die than the nation perish. And so by that same logic, Felix is going to be like, look, you got a whole bunch of people here who are people we've been dealing with now that do represent the majority of the Jewish nation. They are the puppet leaders of the Jewish nation that we're dealing with here. They all are saying the same thing over against this one man uh, who – it really is insignificant. So what's the big deal? Let's just dispense with this one guy, kill him, and keep these guys happy. Mm-hmm. Clearly, at the end of this chapter, he's going to want to do them a favor. He does want to placate them and keep them happy. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to forsake uh, a sense of Roman justice. So there is a due process here, and it's pretty obvious after a while that Paul's no threat. And, you know, he's, he's, under, he's under some pressure similar to Pilate saying, hey, this is an innocent man, and these Jews are clearly motivated by something other than righteousness. So that's, that's the struggle that he's going through here. Having heard the accusation from the Jews, in verse 10, we turn to Paul's defense of himself and of the gospel. Now, you mentioned the contrast between Paul's introductory comments and those of Tertullus, and we see that clearly in verse 10. Paul is quick to move to business. He acknowledges who Felix is, but then turns quickly to his defense. Mm -hmm. How does Paul defend himself against the accusation that he was a ringleader who was Mm -hmm. constantly stirring up riots among the Jews? And what's the significance of Paul's statements, you can verify, and neither can they prove. Yeah. Well, let's take the last part first. You can verify, neither can they prove means, hey, let's follow the rules here. I mean, uh, it seems that the the fundamental assumption here is innocence until proven guilty. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly the Roman system of jurisprudence. But the idea is, hey, look, I've got to be – it's got to be proven. There have to be actual witnesses that I was a, uh, I was stirring up a riot and that that's what I am uh, seeking to do. And, and the fact is I, I've been here a very short time. This whole thing's come about very rapidly. Uh, if I was going to be a, some ringleader and organize something, how did I get all that organized so quickly? I've, I've been here a very short time. The fact is they were loaded for bear before I ever got here. That's why really what you should be talking to some of these Jews in the province of Asia that have been been hunting me down and causing trouble for me. Those are the ones uh, that are accusing me of being um, you know, a plague or, or a ringleader starting riots and all that. Uh, fundamentally, I wasn't stirring up anybody. Uh, There is no evidence. Uh, They didn't see me doing this. I was just quietly at the temple. 
And by the way, one of the charges that Tertullus made is that uh, he that Paul desecrated the temple. And the fact is, I was ceremonially clean. I know very well the laws of my own religion, and I was not desecrating the temple. So they can't prove any of these things. The fact is, most excellent Felix, you have to listen to actual evidence and, and have them actually prove the charges they're making, and they cannot do it. Now, throughout the book of Acts, as we've interacted with Paul, we've come to know him as a bold defender of the gospel. And this is exemplified again in verses 14 through 16. For all that, do you think Paul was ever tempted to deny Christ or his connection to the way? Well, I think he absolutely was. Um, He prayed, uh, he asked uh, in Ephesians 6 for the Ephesian Christians to pray for him to declare the word boldly as he should. That implies a certain weakness or temptation. Look, if you don't pray for me, I might capitulate. Hmm. And then especially 2 Timothy 4, uh, you know, some of the last words he wrote, he said, at my first defense before Caesar, uh, Nero, maniac, um, hostile to Christianity, my first defense, no one came to my support, um, you know, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that... Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Hmm. Interesting statement. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever. Now, what Paul's saying there is especially because in the previous chapter, he says, I have fought the good fight, finished the race, kept the faith. I am, the time has come for my departure. I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He said, I'm going to die. So then what does he mean when he says I was delivered from the lion's mouth? I didn't die yet? I don't think so. I think what he's saying is the lion is Satan. Satan was hunting him down at that key critical moment, his one time probably to have an audience before, you know, Nero, Caesar, not like Nero is going to want to see him day after day after day. This is your one chance. You made an appeal to Caesar. Now mm-hmm. you've got the chance. Will you or will you not boldly, clearly deliver the goods? Will you or will you not testify to Christ before the Gentiles and their king? And that's who he is, the king of kings. That is Caesar, the ruler of the Gentile world. Uh, when Ananias was going to baptize Paul, he said, uh, this man is my chosen instrument to bear, bring my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Mm. So the fact is the finish line of Paul's ministry was preaching the gospel to the Gentile king. And so Paul's saying, look, I was tempted uh, to be afraid, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength and I delivered the goods. And what does that mean? Well, I know we're not doing Second Timothy here, but he basically <laughs> preached the gospel to, to Nero. Hmm. Nero, you need to repent and trust in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what kind of boldness does that take? It's Incredible. like, tell, tell me again, what, are you, you're who, actually who saying, are you? who is this? What? What, are you, what is this? Hmm. And he didn't listen. But it's the same thing here with Felix. It's like, will he be courageous? And he says, look, I do admit that I'm a follower of uh, this sect that uh, what they call a sect, which is the way, uh, and that is Jesus. I do admit that I am a follower of Christ. Mm. So he is courageous here. What's the importance of Paul's desire to keep his conscience clear before God and man? And how does the fact that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked help us like Paul in our own daily lives? 
Yeah, this is a very, very important statement. He says, I do believe that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. All right, there's a lot of things we can get out of that. Um, it lines up very much with Paul's own statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one uh, may give an account for the things he has done in the body, whether good or bad. So what is Paul saying there? I believe I'm going to have to give an account to Jesus for everything I do in my body. For that reason, I strive to keep my conscience clear. So what does that tell us about judgment day? You're going to have to give Jesus an account for everything you've done in the body, whether good or bad. What does it tell you about the conscience? Conscience is an important guide to us. Don't violate your conscience. Don't do anything that you know is wrong. Do the things that you know are right. Keep your conscience clear. And in that way, you are best likely or most likely to be ready for the kind of close accounting that will happen with Jesus as your judge. Mm. Now, keep in mind, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're not going to go to hell at the end of that evaluation time before the judgment seat of Christ. But you are going to see some of your works burned up as wood, hay, or stubble. Uh, you're going to see other works purified and rewarded by Christ. So the fact is, this is a very important insight to all of our future, to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. So he says, look, I believe in that. I don't think that this life is all there is. We're going to have to give an account, and after that uh, comes eternity. And so I strive always to keep my conscience clear. What's Paul's defense against the charge that he had defiled the temple? Well, as I said earlier, he said I was, verse 18, ceremonially clean when I was in the temple. I know what it is to be ceremonially clean. We also know in the book of Acts he had gone through some purification rituals. He went, you know, typical of the Pharisees, went above and beyond the call of duty, wasn't needed. But, yeah, I absolutely know the laws of the temple, and I was clean. So um, I, I did not defile or desecrate the, the temple at all. Andy, you also mentioned that Paul returns to this issue of stirring up riots all over the world by speaking of the Jews from Asia who were actually responsible. Is his point there just to say, listen, if you want to know what really happened, you need to call in some more witnesses. Yeah. Like we've said, you need to establish the facts if yeah. we are going to have a right judgment in this okay. case. So here's the important thing just on what happened in Jerusalem. Let's just stick with that. There was no one with me. So if I'm some ringleader, where are my henchmen? Where are, where's the huge crowd I've got? Where's the faction I've got? I was alone. <laughs> so I hadn't gotten very far in the whole insurrection I was hoping to lead. I was physically alone. <laughs> Nobody fought to prevent very me. Very outset if I was <laughs> like, I'm not good at my job. If that's what I do, there was no one with me. So I'm like, come on, you can see through all this. Uh, the only ones that were around me were, were people who didn't really even know who I was. And then all of these Jews that hated me and yelled. And that's what happened. There were Jews from Asia who recognized me and said, help, this man is the man who's going everywhere. It's like, oh, so you want to know who was organized? It was the other side, not me. I didn't start the riot. They did. So, look, the fact of the matter is there, I, there was no one with me, so that proves I wasn't any ringleader of riots. But there were some ringleaders of riots, and you ought to be talking to them because they're guilty of the very thing that you don't want happening. They are the ones starting the riots. By the way, Paul's pretty shrewd. <laughs> he is. He and, is. And, and we see it again in verses 20 and 21 where he cleverly mentions the division in the Sanhedrin, which never came to any verdict on Paul either. Yeah, if I did something wrong in their eyes, what was my what was the charge? The actually they literally said 
uh, the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin said, we find no basis of a charge against him. There's nothing wrong with this man. Hmm. Maybe an angel or, or a spirit has spoken to him, remember? And he's like, all right, then if I'm so wrong, then they didn't even find anything wrong with me. So, yeah, I think it's case closed here. Uh, and yet Felix doesn't set him free. Hmm. So, yeah. What's the significance of the fact that Felix was well familiar with the way? And mm-hmm. did that knowledge help Paul or hinder him? I don't know. I think um, – I don't know if it helped. I think at least uh, Felix was sympathetic, uh, et cetera. By the way, it does show the progress the gospel had made. Mm. So already many Christians have been around and he's heard about them. And, and Drusilla, his wife, um, you know, who was Jewish – probably said more about it, et cetera. So the gospel has made significant progress. Uh, also, it's well on its way to the spiritual conquest of the Roman Empire. Uh, it's not not in the way that, that uh, any of these authority figures like Caesar or any tribunes would have thought, but it's because it's permeating, it's mm-hmm. spreading. Uh, like Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and hid in crypto, uh, hid in a large amount of flour until it permeated the whole batch of dough. Mm. So it is spreading. So already it's made progress. If you read between the lines, the theme of the book of Acts is coming true. The gospel is spreading from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, and going to the ends of the earth. Which is amazing because for all of the opposition that we see at every step of the way Mm -hmm. for God's servants, the gospel continues to advance. What decision does Felix make concerning Paul in verse 23? And what does this verse teach us about Paul's life in prison and about Felix himself? Well, again, he's under house arrest. He's in the palace of Herod. Uh, Things are comfortable there. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard to protect him, uh, but to give him freedom and have his friends come to take care of his needs. So, again, that tells you something about the prison system back then. We're not going to feed you. We're not going to clothe you. Uh, You've got to have a network of people. And that, that brings us into some insights we had from the book of Hebrews where you had to stand with Christians who were arrested and in prison for the gospel because if you don't come and care for them, they're going to starve. They're going to be shivering in cold at night. And so you have to be willing to be arrested yourselves. You have to stand with those who were arrested for the gospel. And you're willing to do that. You cheerfully accepted the confiscation of your property so that you could you could stand with those who were imprisoned. And also Jesus' statement in the sheep and the goats, I was in prison and you came to visit me. Um, so uh, basically his friends are allowed to care for his needs, to bring him some food, to, to come and go. Uh, but Paul's got to stay put. So it's a... It's a middle-of-the-road kind of judgment here. He's going to hold on to him. He's not going to set him free, but it's not a miserable uh, um, imprisonment for him. What's Drusilla's role in this story, and what was the purpose of the private hearing Felix had with Paul? Well, I think Drusilla's role, as I mentioned a moment ago, is to give Felix even more information about the way. I think that's probably how he knew about it. Um, and, and it also implies a certain, um, a certain openness that Felix would have at least at this point. And so it is why Paul has this private interview that we alluded to a moment ago, and that's very, very significant, uh, the gospel opportunity that Paul has to come and preach to to Felix. What kind of things do you think Paul mentioned in conjunction with righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment? And how does Felix react? First of all, Felix's name in Latin means faithful. So it's kind of a it's kind of ironic because we're basically preaching for faith that he would have 
faith. Hmm. Uh, but he doesn't. And that's really, this is actually, I think, a very sad and tragic story here with Felix. Um, Felix may well be burning in hell right now. And I believe if he is, I don't know. We, we, we don't know of anyone except Judas Iscariot that definitely is condemned. Uh, no one. Um, it's not our role to condemn people. But if Felix in the end didn't believe, and if he is now in torment like the rich man and, and Lazarus um, parable, uh, he has memory of his life. And I think he looks back on this moment as the key moment of his entire life. You know, if only I had a chance to hear Paul again. And so there are four things that Paul talks to him about. First of all, positively, he discourses uh, about faith in Christ. And so if you look at that, he says, you know, he spoke to him about faith in Christ Jesus. Um, so that's that's the theme, just like his name, you know, that you would have, Felix, faith in Christ. So faith in Christ will wash away all of your sins. Now let's talk about your sins. Don't think you don't have any. So let's talk about righteousness. God defines righteousness in his law. And so he goes through probably the Ten Commandments or the two great commandments, preaches the law to him, mm -hmm. the righteousness of God in the law. And then self-control, what is that? Well, the opposite of self-control is a dissolute lifestyle. Any chance that a tribune of Rome, a very wealthy and powerful man, in his evenings and weekends, let himself go a bit. You know, let it got drunk or was with other women or something like that. You know, just that pagan lifestyle. So self-control. And then the judgment to come. There is going to be a judgment. And so you think about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. When the counselor comes, he will convict the world uh, about sin and righteousness and self-control and judgment to come. Those are the themes that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us about, the very things. And so Paul talks about that. And uh, as he does... Uh, Felix, things start to get a little hot in the room for Felix. He becomes afraid and and terrified and and stops Paul right there. What decision does Felix make in verse 25? And what does verse 26 teach us about his motives? Right. So I want to talk some about Felix's fear. And then I'll, uh, I want to answer your question. Um, it's very significant, the mental states that the New Testament gives to people who hear the gospel but don't quite believe it. And so the stony ground hearer in the parable of the seed and the soils um, says that he at once receives it with joy. So there's a, a measure of joy in the hearing of the gospel there, but it doesn't amount to anything. Mm. Here on the other side, there's fear. Now we know in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there's a genuine fear here, fear of God's judgment, mm. a fear of what's coming, but it's not enough to convert him. So neither uh, uh, fear nor a superficial joy is enough to, to save. Now, genuine fear and genuine joy are truly part of conversion, but there are superficial counterfeits that do not come quite to the full amount. Uh, you know, they, they uh, as later we're going to see in 26, the almost persuaded Festus, you know, almost you, in Agrippa, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. It's not quite. So I'm pretty sad about this, this the fact that, that Felix becomes fearful. What, what was he afraid of? Paul's just a Jewish prisoner. He's afraid of the truth. Hmm. There is a judgment coming. And uh, so, at any rate, that's a sad thing for me. But also, um, uh, he makes this judgment. He says, all right, you, you know, that's enough, um, and I, I might call you back. And he does. For two years, they discoursed and, and talked about these things. But 
his motives change. So here's the thing. You know, there are moments where that's the that's the door. We believe in eternal election, but we also believe in the human factor. And today, if you hear his voice, mm-hmm. don't harden your heart. If, you know, uh, he says, in the day of God's favor, I've heard, heard you. The time of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time. You don't know. And here's the thing. It's not just you don't know whether you'll be alive tomorrow. That's true. But you don't know if you'll be in the same mental state tomorrow. If you're afraid, go with it dive into it. Say, look, there is a judgment to come and I want to escape. What do I have to do to be saved? Like like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? He was serious and he came to faith. Felix wasn't quite there. Hmm. And so the next day, it's not as serious. Like, hey, I, I got you uh, anymore. And and he gets a little hardened. He's not really listening, but he's hoping for money. So hmm. he's, he's just looking for a bribe at that point. And so he holds on to him for a good long while. In the end, we find another case where someone doesn't think Paul is guilty, but also doesn't release him. Mm-hmm. If Felix didn't think Paul was guilty, why does he not release him? First of all, I want to show a similarity between uh, Paul and, and Joseph. Um, I think it was the same thing, about two years. You know, after the, remember the two guys, the baker and the, and the cupbearer? to Pharaoh and they have dreams and Joseph interprets the dreams properly. And one of them is spared and the other is executed just like Joseph had said, but he's there for two more years. And the whole thing was a uh, was timing issue because the famine and, and all of that. And also, you know, Joseph is being seasoned. <laughs> you know, It's like he's in a smokehouse or something like that and it takes a good long while. And so it is also here. It's just too long, it's two years, 24 months. And it's like, can I set me free? I mean, what do you got anything more? I mean, if you're not, then set me free. But the whole time he's looking for a bribe, two years, and the whole time he wants to do the Jews a favor, but not too much of a favor because he doesn't want to kill them either. either. So that's what Felix is doing. And then along comes uh, Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to grant the Jews a favor, he leaves Paul in prison. So now we got Festus, and we're starting from scratch Mm. with the next tribune. Mm. It's like, ugh. And you can think of how depressing that must have been for Paul. Andy, what final thoughts do you have for us today on this passage that we've looked at? I think the most significant moments here are the private moments between Paul and Felix and the significance of the things that we said a few minutes ago, which is, look, today if you hear his voice, if you're if you're convicted by the gospel, if you understand yourself to be a sinner, you're afraid of the judgment to come, if you know that there is one and only one provision, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who lived a sinless life, who died an atoning death, who was raised from the dead on the third day, who is the only savior of the world. And if today you hear his voice calling you, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You'll find rest for your souls. Then trust in Christ today. Don't think that tomorrow uh, you're gonna have the same opportunity or the same disposition. It went on for two years, and then in the end, we have no record Mm -hmm. of Felix believing. That's the issue. The gospel is the issue, not the disposition of the apostle Paul. Paul paid his time, he suffered, and then he was lifted up into heavenly glory, and he doesn't regret a single moment of suffering he had on earth. That's the ultimate lesson here. The gospel is the issue. Well, this has been episode 45 in our Acts Bible Study podcast. And we want to invite you to join us next time for episode 46, entitled Paul's Trial Before Festus, where we'll discuss Acts chapter 25, verses 1 through 22. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. 
Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.